be serious, man. You cannot be serious. That ball was on the line. Shark blew up. Oh, he's toying with him now. So, hey, Caitlin. Hey, Chris. How's it going? Good. Uh, I hear we have some reader mail. Yes, we do have some reader mail. Um, where, sh- where to start? First of all, number one, Jen from Alabama and Matt from Brooklyn. Okay. We're really, really into our Ashley Vance conversation from the last episode where we talked about the future of American tennis. Great. And they wanted us to bring up world team tennis. That's a thing. Yeah. That- that's a real thing. Have you ever seen any of the matches? I haven't. Uh, I wish I could say that I had. Um, and I'm surprised they pull big names often, right? They do. So it's, World Team Tennis was started by Billie Jean King. That's the part that Jen wanted me to mention um, because she's a Billie Jean King fanatic. Uh-huh. I think if she could get like Billie Jean King's like face tattooed on her somewhere, she would. <laughs> which it would be it would be an unsightly tattoo if we're being honest. Sure. Um, but she wanted me to mention that Billie Jean King started it, and that, and it's like American cities. So like the Austin, like Austin has a team, and yeah. Washington D.C. has a team. Yeah, and the Philadelphia um, Freedom, the Elton John song, right? famously Philadelphia Freedom. The, right. that is what they were named after. Yeah, amazing. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and Matt from Brooklyn said that his parents are huge fans, and they go to see on the regular the New England Lobsters. <laughs> that is a great name. That it's is a great a name. great name. Like, I kind of would play team tennis <laughs> if I got to wear a lobster shirt. Yeah. For anybody who doesn't understand the concept, local stars, international stars, and then it's like a team format competition. So it's like one mixed doubles, one men's singles, one women's singles, um, and the, the points on all these different courts accumulate. And it's a set. It's not, not quite a full set, and you don't play ad scoring. So it's like a really fast-paced um, way of getting through a bunch of different matches. And it's, it's kind of an in-between, like, a real match and an exhibition. Like, I think some pride is on the line, but I don't think, like, much, no rankings or much money is, um, is what they play for. Well, I was reading that it's, um, at first they played with those no-line courts. Gross. That's the, <laughs> gross. Well, so is what's grosser, no line or singles only? I don't even know. I, I just, <laughs> I'm such a purist when it comes to some elements of this game. Like, I, I would be happy to go back to like wooden rackets. I mean that. 100%. Wow. Yeah. Wow. But yeah. Well, hang on. If you had a wooden racket, you couldn't hit with topspin, and isn't that like one of the joys of tennis, nay, life? It's so much fun. I think it would be like one of those like sparse novels like that's set in the Cormac Arctic. McCarthy. It's like yeah, the road of the sports. Road. Exactly. <laughs> you just have to like, re- you know, just regroup and right. decide to like, you know, reapproach your life. I would just hit <laughs> slices and run into the net. Right. I think, okay, here's the thing. I've played with not wooden rackets, but old, old, uh, like aluminum Jimmy Connors kind of rackets. And yeah. the hard part is, unless your timing is very good, which mine isn't, you can't really swing that hard. And that takes a lot of the catharsis out of tennis for me. What? Don't, you know what I'm saying? You tennis because it's, you can swing hard? Yes. And topspin allows you to swing, like, compared to wooden rackets, recklessly. And the ball still come down. <laughs> 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 I love it. You know, this is one of my favorite things about our tennis conversations. Like, you're getting something totally different out of this game. And I think it's 
wonderfully valid and I just want to make you feel heard because that had never would never occur to me as something that you could get joy from <laughs> but that was really convincing well I think probably because I started tennis late um, and like top spin was a real challenge like it took me a long time to be able to consistently hit it yeah um, and so it still feels like an accomplishment I, I just want to riff off that for one second because one of the most sure. satisfying things that I've ever experienced and I'm sure you've experienced this too is you know when like you're playing doubles and you purposely peg somebody yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Like the retribution peg? Yeah. And that, there's like a whole etiquette. And for anybody who doesn't know what the term peg means, it's, you know, essentially you hit somebody on purpose. Right. Um, and in this case, in doubles, it's done as a retaliatory maneuver, usually because somebody like did something out of, out of bounds. And then it can get really out of hand because then everyone's just trying to peg each other and then right. balls are flying. Right. My partner once in college got pegged in the neck. Oh, God. <laughs> And like drop the racket and grab both her neck with both hands <laughs> and like emitted like a foul choking sound. And like, I thought she was going to die. Wow. So yeah. then did you retaliate? Yeah, obviously. Okay. It was so, it felt so good. So <laughs> I, I, I too have felt that, that, I, that thing that you're describing. Well, and I think the only time I ever got someone was they were playing the eye. You know what I mean? Like right mm -hmm. down the middle crouching, which is like the sort of thing that you can only do when you're between 18 and 22 years old it's too hard to do i try to do it now and i like can't get out of that crowd <laughs> it is serious it is like it's a very athletic move yeah and uh there was a guy and i felt like he was gonna break right and i kind of wanted to handcuff him you know what i mean mm. and uh yeah straight shot he couldn't decide whether to go right or left with with the racket and like right in the solar plexus Whoa. it was great it was great did he double over? He didn't double over, but he kind of staggered a little bit and like tried to laugh it off like it didn't hurt, you know? Yeah. But, but it, it was like he was short of breath and he like was clearly like, oh, fine. You know, like <laughs> right. That. Right. Well, because I had hit it really hard with topspin. You See, know? and people Just, think that tennis is like this genteel sport. Right. Well, it is sometimes, but then it's way more satisfying to break the rules. It's like forbidden, you know? Yeah. It's like the lambada. <laughs> ready for viewer listener mail num item number two yes emily also from alabama who knew we had a huge listenership in alabama <laughs> emily from alabama um i tweeted last week when i put up our last episode um that i was proud to be the co-host of the only tennis podcast that had explicit content because uh -huh. <laughs> i felt like since we had like dropped some curse words in the last one i should like you know warn people yep and then a lot of people thought that was hilarious which I'm pretty funny, so I'm not surprised. Yep. Um, but Emily was like, oh, no, I was going to recommend this podcast to my mother who wow. loves tennis and is just getting into podcasts. And I was like, oh, crap. Like, should we just, like, clean it up? Uh, no, I think she's probably underestimating her mother, you know? Right. And, like, I feel like our, our occasional salty language is, like, only when it's really justified. Totally. Totally. And also, like, we're both heavy hitters in the podcast biz. Let's face, let's face it and like i feel like that's one of the best things about this unregulated medium right yeah exactly it's yeah. like we're like it's like cockfighting in a basement <laughs> okay so chris you had this great idea for um a recurring feature and i loved it um right. what is it right well it kind of grew out of the conversations we have which is we have a love of the players we have a love of the players that sort of uh, kind of bubbled up once usually in a, in a major and then settled down into like the 30s and 20s and uh, and never got to number one. And that's why this segment is called Never Number One. And it, s it celebrates the players who, you know, 
who you would love to see in the fourth round if they were on, especially like night matches in U.S. Open. It was great. You didn't think they were going to win, but it was going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, and to me, like, one of the things that, like, makes you, like, substantiates you as a tennis fan is that you go beyond, like, cheering for people who are just, like, you know, the front runners or the people who've already got a lot of slams under the belt. Right. And, like, you get to know some of the personalities because a lot of times, like, as Ashley said, like, you know, the, especially on the men's side, like, these guys are pretty, like, buttoned up. But, like, if you start to look into the never number ones, you get some real characters. Exactly. Um, and that's why I was so delighted that you chose Marco Bagdadis. Marco uh, Bagdadis, the Cypriot. The first time I saw him, I thought, this is the tennis player most likely to be a smoker. You know, he sure. was <laughs> he was just a little overweight in, in, like, a reckless way if you are a professional athlete. Like, you should never be that overweight. <laughs> yeah. Did a little research on him. And he's only 30. He's yeah. only 30. I was shocked. I thought he'd be 34, 35, something like that. Yeah. He definitely, like, could have some tennis left in the tank. And just to be clear, I think the idea of, like, never number one is mostly people who have retired because it feels, like, kind of shitty to be like, well, you're never going to be number one, but you're still playing. I think in this case, and this is no slight intended whatsoever, I think it's safe to say that Margot Spedes will never be number one. <laughs> no, right? no, and, and I don't think he would want to be. Exactly. What's more, I don't think he would have a problem at all with us saying that. No, I think he'd be pretty chill. He'd be like, "Yeah, yeah, I'm living my life." But I didn't realize he was only thirty. Yeah, I mean, the other thing about never being number one is that, in doing research, realized that like this guy was the most famous person in Cyprus when he lost to Federer convincingly in the Australian Open he came back and he was mobbed getting off his plane like the fucking Beatles <laughs> it is amazing uh, here's a little tape of that it was a result that now has Marcus Bagdatis being held at home as the greatest sportsman Cyprus has produced scores of fans gathered at Cyprus's Larnaca airport to greet the 20 year old who was met by his parents fighting to hold back tears an emotional Bagdatis held up his trophy as he was welcomed by officials. The way that most people encountered him for the first time is in a match that a lot of people are are still calling like one of the greatest matches, certainly at the US Open of all time. And it was a five setter with Andre Agassi. And it was notable for two reasons, um, two very similarly related reasons. Number one, it was Andre Agassi's last Grand Slam victory. Right. And second of all, because of that, it was written about, because it was such an epic match, and both players at the end of the match ended up on the training table getting iced and rubbed down <laughs> right. um, and barely able to move. It was documented pretty extensively in Andre Agassi's memoir, Open. Right. And through this, you get a sense of who this guy is. He's got a ton of heart. He's funny. He plays with a ton of passion. He's obviously extremely talented because he's always been, you know, at least in the top 50 um, and at times, you know, dangerously close. He got up to 10. number eight. Yeah. Right. And he's sort of gotten the like labeled shop maker. Yeah. So being a shop maker seems like a pretty awesome gig. Like you don't win consistently enough, but like once in a while you can just like do some dazzling shit. Like that seems really cool. Totally. Like I would take that. In yeah. A um, and I feel like he's one of those professional athletes who makes me who I would aspire to be. And what I mean by that is like, if I got to play a sport as my job, I would like to think that I would be as joy, like animated by joy as he seems to be most of the time. 
Exactly. Exactly. Conversely, on the rare occasions, or I shouldn't say rare occasions, that he loses his mind, it's just as entertaining. And it's like a giant baby is on the court. Um, right. And famously, when he broke four rackets <laughs> on a changeover <laughs> at the Australian Open. And so we have some tape of this. And if you listen here, here he is breaking the first racket, which he totally destroyed, like broken in a few places. And then you hear him like go for the second racket and then he breaks that. And then he goes for the third racket and then he breaks that. Right after he breaks the fourth, he smiles. And then the umpire like lamely says, cool he didn't throw him off the court like because <laughs> it's way beyond racket abuse yeah it was intentional rule breaking but what's really funny about it is that like it manages to be winning right and by the end it's like you get the sense that it was actually like cathartic and he's worked himself like kind of back into a decently good headspace because he's just done what you always want to accomplish when you're smashing a racket which is like move on right right have you ever broken your racket like it um, like cracked it intentionally. I'm going to be totally honest one time and it was mostly accidental uh, and I got, I got yelled at. I started crying and I never broke my racket again. <laughs> right. You were, you were 31. <laughs> it was last week. <laughs> I'm really disappointed in myself. Um, I think I was like nine or 10 uh-huh. and it was like one of those like moments where you're like going to decide what kind of person you are. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? Totally. It felt like a moment though. Yeah. Did you, have you? Have you ever done it? I did it, but it doesn't really count because like the racket was in terrible shape. And what, what happened was it was the, like I used the same racket for 10 years. <laughs> I don't recommend. And uh, I popped strings and I had decided that this was the end of the line and it felt like a sign from God. And uh, so I just walked over and I actually hit it on the, the pole of the net and broke it. It was great. <laughs> Wait, but did you get like in trouble? Did anybody yell at you? Did no, no, no. It was like the match? no, no. It was like college, and it was I don't know. I, I don't even remember if any coaches were there. It was like we kept playing when practice was over. So Got it. yeah. So it wasn't like some Marcos Bagdadis moment. No, it was not in front of like authority figures because I don't think I would have had the balls to do that. Let's get back to Marcos. Okay, sure. I thought one notable thing about him was that he was a junior number one player. And I think that's like a sign that you're going to be either a burnout or a really interesting person because other junior stars include Golbis, Gasquet, and Tomic. Mm-hmm. Like that's a fun, fun, dysfunctional group. Yeah, every one of those is dysfunctional in their own ways. Golbis right. is like a rich brat. Tomic has like an abusive dad and like gets drunk and gets in trouble in Miami, which just right. happened. Right. And uh, Gasquet, I mean, he's no like rule breaker, but... He's kind of a choke artist and like famously isn't right. like the best in his own country, much less the world, despite being a junior funon. Right. Two things. Like it seems like SK is writing, writing the ship a little bit towards the end here. And also Tomich, I went from thinking he was like a jerk, some sympathy <laughs> for like the, the world he grew up in. Yeah, that's totally fair. You know that he has like crazy, crazy parents, which make all of this much more entertaining, but yeah. probably, you know, are right. not more fun for him. Whereas, you know, and he seems like intense and unhappy. Whereas after Baghdadis lost in a major, uh, he was asked whether uh, whether he would watch the next match of his opponent that had beaten him. And he said, I think my coach 
will be watching and I'll be sleeping with my girlfriend. <laughs> oh God, God bless him. All right. I like that. He's a delight. He is a delight. Yeah. Um, I just thought that maybe we should ask people if they wanted to suggest people for us to talk about. Okay. Um, who yeah. are never number ones. Cause there's a couple on my list and they will shock you. Really? Yeah. Because like a lot of people who made it really close, like, Maybe they played in an era where, like, they were dominated by somebody else. Like, I'll give you a hint. One person's name rhymes with Schmabriella <laughs> Labatini. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Cal Smoshington. So, yeah, uh, those are, I think, like, moderately deep cuts and players yeah. who, like, I, I, I think that, like, I was exactly the right age to be like, hey, Todd Martin's really good. You just don't think of him as good because he looked like an investment banker, you know? He sure did. He had the eyebrows of an investment banker even at like age 20. <laughs> never Time number one. Yeah. yeah, never number one. Right. We will be back next week. Um, we sure will. And in the meantime, if you're enjoying us, talk to us, drop us some lister mail or tweets. Um, find us on the web at com or all your podcatchers that you want to listen to. Awesome. Talk uh, to you soon. Talk to you soon. Bye, Bye. Caitlin.